kept it for them. You, you the church, are a new creation in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what we've looked at this past week in adult Bible study. This is what we'll continue to look at in the weeks to come. Jesus, the Messiah, is building a new temple, and we are his blocks. I'm sure all of you remember this, but I actually preached on this passage in June of 2020. Do you remember my opening illustration? I'm not going to wait for that. I spoke about this new TV show where these master Lego builders are using these blocks, these Lego blocks to build these masterpieces. This is what Christ is doing to his church using us. He's building his temple out of us in all of our unique ways, in all of our different gifts. He's binding us and joining us together as his church so that he might fill us with his spirit. We are his church. It's not this building. It's not the steeple. It's the people. This morning, Paul is turning the page and telling us, if this is who you truly are, this is what you must do. If we don't know who we are, we'll never understand what we're called to do. And the last thing I want us to think, and the last thing that Paul wants this church to think, is that it's going to be easy. That it's just going to be a walk in the park. Whoever coined that term was walking alone. We've been called. We've been called to do something, and that something is going to be very tough to do. It's actually going to be impossible for us to do, if not for God himself. If you've been in any church at any time, for any period of time, you know this to be true. It's hard. It's tough. It's bumpy. Because what God is calling us to do, what God is calling us to be, is something that we cannot be on our own. And in fact, something that we constantly will try to sabotage ourselves. But God has come to us. He has brought us who were separated by sin who are separated by hostility and hatred. And by His grace, through His redeeming blood, He has united us to Christ and He has united us to one another. And therefore, this is what we are to do. And this morning, I'm actually only going to get through the first four verses but what I want us to see that Paul describes the church's unity, what we are to do together in three ways. The church is unified in her walking, the church is unified in her calling, and the church is unified in her living. The church is unified in her walking. This is what he says in verse 1. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called. 
Paul, back in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, has already used this analogy when he said, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But now, he says, you are being called to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. If you've ever gone on a family walk together, it can be one of the most frustrating and catastrophic things you'll ever experience. <laughs> when you go on a walk, typically, well, sorry, when my family goes on a walk, <laughs> typically someone isn't wearing the proper shoes to go on a walk. Typically, there's one person that walks about 10 or 15 feet behind us. Typically, there's someone that walks about 10 feet or 15 feet in front of us. And typically, there's one who's yo-yoing back and forth, trying to make sure that we all stay together. We all walk differently. I'm not going to name names, but some people can't walk in a straight line. <laughs> and then there's the inevitable. When are we going to be done? Why do we have to do this together? I want to go that way. I want to go this way. I've got to go to the bathroom. And it makes it a lot easier that we have three boys for that question. Sometimes the boys don't walk with us. Sometimes they want to ride their bikes. That causes more issues than just walking together. And sometimes, just for kicks and giggles, we take the dog along with us. And actually, one time, our cat came with us and followed about 30 feet behind us the entire time we were outside. And then to compound the problem, some of you, some of you, when you go on a family walk, you decide, you know, it's so easy to do this at home. Let's go do it at a theme park with thousands of other families. <laughs> walks can be chaotic because everybody walks differently. But look how Paul is encouraging the church. He's exhorting the church. He's urging the church to walk together. He's telling the church, we must walk together. This is what he says, I urge y'all, I urge y'all to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which y'all have been called. Y'all, I don't say that very often. He's urging us to walk side by side, shoulder to shoulder, through the very things that we've just prayed for. Through sickness through cancer, through death, through joy, through healing. He's calling us to do this together. It's not going to be a walk in the park, but he's calling us to do something we cannot be if we're isolated from one another. We were never meant to live this life alone. And what God does is he calls us and he recreates a people for himself and says, y'all, do this together. You're going to need one another. Sometimes some of you are going to be weak. That's when other of you need to be strong. Sometimes some of you won't see the light. That's why other of you bring the light to one another. That's why some of you don't like to sing some of the songs we sing. That's why we're going to sing these songs on behalf of one another. Some of you won't be able to pray the prayer that we always pray. 
And so we're going to pray it for one another. We are supposed to do this life together. That's actually what the NIV says. The NIV says we are supposed to live this life in a manner. But unfortunately, they they are misplacing this metaphor that Paul has been using throughout this book. It says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you've received. But Paul has been using this metaphor of walking, and he's going to continue this metaphor going on, and it's something that we are supposed to be done, done together. And it's going to be hard, because we all walk differently. But what he calls us to is that we walk together. And Paul, and Paul also says the church is unified in her calling. Y'all have been called. He says this four times in these first three verses. Y'all have been called. Walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. This call, our confession says, is for all those whom God hath predestined unto life. He is pleased in his appointed time effectually to call by his word and spirit out of the state of sin and death in which they were by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills, and by his almighty power, determining them that to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ. Yet so as they come most freely, being made willing by his grace. This is what Paul said earlier in chapter 1. We've had the eyes of our hearts enlightened so that we might know the hope to which we've been called to. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints? This is what Paul says in Romans 6, verses 3 to 4. Y'all have been called to walk into newness of life. We are no longer to walk with an old limp. We are no longer to walk with old fears. We are no longer called to walk alone. We are no longer to walk in whatever we used to walk, however we used to walk, before we came to know the glorious grace of of God. If you believe in Jesus Christ, in his resurrection from the dead, and you've received all of God's blessings from the resurrection power of the Spirit, you should walk according to that glorious call. If you say that Christ has died for my sin, which means that you understand that your sin rightly deserves damnation, and excommunication from his presence, for he is holy. It means knowing and walking according to his extravagant love that will never run out on you. And what is Paul saying? He says this, in a way, is like saying, if you say this is true about you, reveal it in the way that you walk according to this calling. If you believe in the gospel, 
reveal it by the way that you live. And we have a metaphor for this, don't we? It's called, if you walk the walk, talk the talk. James says it another way. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Peter, in his epistle, calls the saints to be obedient children, to be conformed to the passions, to not be conformed to the passions that you formerly lived in ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God has called us out of darkness and the depravity of our own sin by his word. He has given us a new heart. He has renewed our wills by his almighty power. And he is leading us to righteousness because he loves us. All of this he has done for us. This is to which he has called us to, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, of he who is holy, of he who loves us. So the church is unified in her walking, the church is unified in her calling, and the church is unified in her living. Therefore, in the words of Run DMC, walk this way and talk this way. In what way? Well, he tells us in verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We walk with all humility and gentleness. And this was just as countercultural back then as it is today. In the Greco-Roman world, humility was regarded as humiliation. There, the highest characteristic, the most valued characteristic, was honor. But Paul is saying that in the church, we strive for something different. We strive for humility. The church lives lives of self-denial. Humility is about thinking little of yourself and much of others. It's not thinking or belittling ourselves, but it's living with a posture of service first. Humility is the opposite of pride. It's the opposite of haughtiness. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble for theirs is the kingdom of God. Humility frames what Christ did for his church. For Paul tells us in Philippians 2, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself in becoming a servant to the point of death, even death on a cross. He called us to be humble and he called us to be gentle. 
This, Paul says later in 1 Timothy 3, this is a qualification in the characteristic of an elder. They are not to be violent, but gentle and not quarrelsome. And you might say, well, great, great, that's a characteristic of an elder. I'm not an elder. But that's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying here is that this is a characteristic of every believer in Jesus. To be gentle. As Dan Ortland says in his books, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, this is one of the only verses in the entire Bible that Jesus' heart is revealed is when he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. I am gentle and humble. Don't you see? Walking in humility and walking in gentleness means that we walk like Jesus. And then he says, walk with patience, bearing with one another in love. Here Paul knows that you can't be a Christian. You can't be a member of God's church without being his disciple, without being in the community, in the communion of saints. We don't live in a vacuum. We can't pray alone all the time. We can't read scriptures alone all the time. We were never intended to do this, and that's why we have to love one another. And guess what? That's hard too. This word that Paul uses actually describes being patient with someone who's difficult, if not outright foolish. Loving good people is hard. Loving foolish people is even harder. And this is the call of the church. To love one another. To love patiently. Isn't that what Paul says is the description of love? Love is patient. Jesus tells his disciples, by this the people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And the best picture, the best picture that we ever get of God's love for us is the cross of Christ. And what does Jesus also say to his disciples? Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Brothers and sisters, we are called to bear with one another in love. To be selfless. To care about others more than we care about ourselves. And it's continual. This walking analogy isn't, hey, I want to do this one time and then we're done. No. This is how we posture our entire lives. With humility and gentleness. With patience, long-suffering, and love. And then what does he say? 
walk eagerly to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. If you were a member of Christ Presbyterian Church, as the Howards joined this morning, they, they said they affirmed the last vow of our membership. And the last phrase of the last vow is that all of you who are members have promised to study the church's purity and peace. This is why Ephesians 4 is so vital for us to know right now, is we are to seek peace with one another. Not only are we supposed to be gentle, not only are we supposed to be humble, not only are we supposed to love, we are to seek peace. Paul isn't calling for uniformity. He's calling conformity to the characteristics of Jesus himself. Behaving, walking, living according to the call that we have received in Christ. And you know what's so wonderful about preaching this text this morning? Is this context within the gospel and this quote-unquote law of you must do this to be a Christian, is that I'm not preaching to condemn you. Because the law no longer condemns those who are found in Christ. I'm not preaching at you to be better. You've been saved from the burden of the law. It has no more power over you. You've been set free to live to righteousness. If you look in the mirror and you don't see someone who is humble, someone who's gentle, someone who's patient, someone who loves, someone who seeks peace, this is my word for you. Run to Jesus. If you don't walk in a manner worthy of your calling, Run to Jesus. You do not need to earn your salvation. You've already found it in Christ. If you ask yourself, am I walking with all humility and gentleness? And the answer is no. Christ has forgiven you your sins. And by going to him, he is going to respond with gentleness, with patience, with love, and with peace. We walk in a way that God has eternally prepared for his people, and we're able to do it because he gives us the one thing we need to do that, and that's Christ himself and the grace of the gospel. We walk this way because there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the hope that which you belong to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Seven times he says one. And just as quickly as Paul has run from the truths of chapters 1 through 3 to hear this is what you must do, he runs right back to the truths. How do we do this together? We are bound together by the one Spirit in Christ, by the one God who is in all 
and through all and over all. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, we who are many have been brought together as one. We can no longer say to one another, we don't need each other. We can no longer say to one another, I don't belong here. We have been sanctified by the Spirit, united together by His immeasurable grace. We've been brought here by the cross. We've been given a new hope in Christ Jesus. Our hearts have been enlightened. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And there's a natural flow to that. If you can acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, that leads to a confession of the one faith that we have for salvation. If you confess the one faith and hope that we have a salvation, you are to be baptized by the one Spirit to receive the sign and seal that your sins have been removed by the blood of Jesus. This is what binds us together. This is what holds us together. So as our favorite song says, what binds us together? What gives us shalom? It's Christ. It's Christ through and through. We are God's new messianic people. Jews and Gentiles brought together. Male and female brought together. Bondservants and free brought together. And maybe this is, might be even harder to fathom. Tennessee fans, Ole Miss fans, Mississippi State fans, Arkansas and LSU fans have been brought together by the blood of Christ. Republicans and Democrats have been brought together through the blood of Christ. Rich and poor, red, yellow, black, and white, we have all been brought together by the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus died the death that we deserve to die on the cross so that there would be no hostility among us. We have one God, and therefore we are unified as a one people of God. Brothers and sisters, how can we walk this way if we hate each other? How can we walk this way if we're unwilling to speak to one another? How are we to walk this way if we're unable to forgive one another? How are we supposed to walk this way if we don't seek one another's good with gentleness and humility and love, seeking peace? How can we live this way if we're not willing to go to one another and say, you really hurt me? How can we live this way if we're not willing to say, will you please forgive me? When Jesus was teaching at the Sermon of the Mount, this is what he said. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. 
So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has a something against you, leave your gift here before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Brothers and sisters, if you have somebody in this room that's offended you, if there's someone in this room that you cannot forgive, you must be reconciled to them through the blood of Christ. That is seeking peace and unity. If there's someone in this room that you can't fathom, how can they live this life? You have been called to walk with them and call them to righteousness in love. Don't you see, when Christ died, he didn't just establish a vertical relationship. He also established a horizontal relationship. He is our peace between us and God, and he is our peace between one another. And what brings us that peace? It's the cross of Christ. It's nothing that you have done. It's nothing that I have done. It's something that Christ has done on our behalf. And he is building us together for his own glory. Brothers and sisters, may we repent often. May we ask for forgiveness often. May we freely forgive often. May we be humble and patient with one another. May we bear with one another in love. May this church look like Jesus. Let's pray.